Okay, we're on air. Um, okay, so Leah, let's hear. Um, let's hear the medrash. Okay, good. <coughs> Again, we start with the Peticha. Right, the Peticha comes from Tehillim um, Memhe. Now, I am sorry. I am sorry. Doesn't that parak is not as important to understand for this medrash as um, as uh, what was it? Mishle Chet was yesterday on Monday. But uh, the reason why I had you look at it carefully is actually for a variety of reasons. Many midrashim and many sources do interpret that parak to be about Abraham. Did anyone come across anything in their quick? Uh, <coughs> I mean, if you just used the regular Tanakh, you wouldn't, you wouldn't really see that. But many Midrashim, not this one, go through various parts, especially of the first half of the uh, parak, and identify different, um, different elements that seem to hint at Avram. And this actually is an interesting phenomenon in Midrash in general, especially Midrash Rabbah. We will already assume, I mean, there's certain Perkete Elim, even, you know, we have something in Telem, um, I guess they're called the Kotarot. I don't know what they're officially called. Some Pirkei Tehillim have little titles that say this is something that David composed after, you know, Masa Bat Sheva. Um, that's one level. Uh, and that, in a sense, might be also understood as a, you know, Tanakh Midrash. Right? We spoke about Divrei Yamim. Even those lines, right, those lines would not have been written, written by David Melech, but would have been someone in Tanakh who is describing what this Midrash is, what this what this parak is about. Another level as well is when you have assumptions throughout, you know, Medrash that certain parakim are associated with different topics and especially different characters. A famous one is the, uh, you know, Ayel Tashachar, which is associated with Esther. It never says Esther's name, but for a variety of reasons, Chazal pinpoint that Medrash as describing Esther. This, there are many, there are many parakim that are associated with Avram. This is one that across the board is associated with Avram. We don't have the time to do it, but there are sort of various hints, if you can call it that, that this is, you know, talking about an Avram-like character, right? Officially, according to Pshad, it's talking about a king, right? A Jewish king, um, and that's it. But um, but that association is there. Okay, so that's the Pasuk. The Pasuk does, though, evoke, this Pasuk in particular evokes Something that happens uh, in Avram's life, right? Shimi Not so much that part. Right? I told you that this is the first. Um, it should be on. This is the first. Uh, this is the first medrash on Lech Lecha. Obviously, Lech Lecha is about Hashem's call to Avram, right? Shimi Right? This is the call. Listen to what I'm about to say. What I'm about to say is forget your nation. And your father's house. Who is that describing? Well, different, um, different later characters in Jewish history didn't have to leave, you know, 
their tradition behind. They were continuing a tradition. It's only Avram who stands at the very beginning has to leave behind a tradition. I think that's, does anyone disagree with that? I think that's sort of basically how this is being used. I don't think there's anything so shocking. You look like you might have a different take. I mean, I'm not objecting to Correct. I mean, that's definitely a motif. But he, in particular, would be someone who had to leave everything behind in a way that people later in Jewish history did not. In other words, he's basically leaving his tradition and starting a new tradition. Well, Ruth that. That's true. That's true. That's fair. Okay. Right. I agree. I agree. But and and also again, see this against the background that this parak is associated for other reasons with Avram Avinu. But correct. Okay. So then we have the Pticha. And now we leave the Pticha for a minute. And we go to this Mashal. So if you could just translate this Mashal as best as you can. Okay, so um, there's this person who's walking from place to place, and he sees a Bira, which we thought was a fortress or a palace. Okay, that's going to be, a, as, as you might have t- been able to tell, that's going to be a big issue. Let's call it a Bira. Okay. <laughs> um, Doleket is also problematic. Good, what's Doleket? Um, because it can be either illuminated or burning. Okay. Now, how do you know that it's bur- that it's illuminated? Why would you think that it's illuminated? Um, Just because, in other words, when something is lit up, it's okay. when you light a candle. Okay. The the I'll I'll give that part away. We won't. Yeah, I'm sorry. Also, because like the way the story runs, it seems like it's something positive, so you wouldn't necessarily think burning would be. Okay, we'll see. That's going to be contested. But yes. Okay, so those two, those two words are, those two words are problematic, or not necessarily problematic, but a lot hinges on the translation and understanding of those two words. Right? We have bira, the noun. What does it mean? We heard a few options, a couple of options. One was fortress. You said. One was a um, palace, um, and the verb doleket as well. A lot hinges on the interpretation of that word, and we'll go through the possibilities in one minute. Does it mean burning, or does it mean lit up? Okay, but whatever he, he sees, a bira, which is doleket, right? A good yeshivish sentence. We haven't defined anything, which is perfect. Okay, so now we have the, the person's reaction. Okay, so he says, is it possible that this bira does not have um, a leader? Okay. And we can translate that as a leader, even though there'll be a little to discuss there. Okay. Um, okay. And so the owner of this of this bira. Oh. Okay. Good. So we spoke just a second about uh, before about a manhik. Right. He asks Tamar Shabira Zo below manhik, and who responds? Hitzitzalav Bal Habira. It sounds there's a shifting in terminology here. Right, he's looking for the passer, you know, the, the passer buyer is looking for a manhig, and he's addressed by a balabira. And what does this word hitzitzalav mean? Like it's not not yeah. peaked, right? Yeah. Correct. Peaked, um, and so this it's an interesting verb as well. This balabira, the owner of this bira, peaks. Yes. Um, does that mean that that he was watching him or like he appeared to him? Okay, so we'll discuss that. It's going to be an important <laughs> verb. No, good, good. It's a funny verb if we're just trying to say that the Balhabira addresses the Overmi Makom Lamakom. Okay, 
Amarlo. So then he says, Amarlo, Anihu Okay. I am the owner of So that's the end of the mashal. And then very conveniently, and we're very grateful, the Midrash gives us the name Shal. Um, okay. So, so too, Abraham said, Is it possible that this world does not have a leader? I am the owner of this world. Okay, and again, the, we have we have the the same parallel shift in terminology. Avram is looking for says you know says tamor below manhik, and Hakadosh Baruch Hu addresses him as the Baal Haolam. Okay, so I think it's fairly clear if we were to get into diagrams in terms of the um, the mashal, we have a. I'm sorry. Why not? Okay, we have a manhik. And we have a Baal Habira in the Mashal. This translates again into Manhik. He's looking for a leader. Um, and this translates into Baal HaOlam. So we might assume that this is also would be Manhik HaOlam. Well, this is Baal Habira. And we might even add, I'm just doing this, you can disagree, with over here, just to keep things parallel. In other words, the Mashal, the parable is about Abira and different people who ha- who who are in charge in various degrees of the bira, and the nimshal is about the world and about different uh, uh, Hashem's potential, different re- or the the leader of the world, different kinds of leaders of the world. That's just my suggestion here. Okay, and then finally we end the midrash with. We go back to the parak of Tzimim. Good, and not simply the parak, but we go to the yes, next pasuk. Um, so, and the king desired, um, I guess, most pshalik, you might say your beauty. Correct. And it's addressing, I mean, that section is addressing not simply a king, but there's also a queen there. Okay. Right. Very interesting word for queen. Um, Shagel. Shagel. Um, and not the artist. And, um, and that's who sort of the king desires her beauty. And that's. Which means what precisely? Which means to make you beautiful. Right, to beautify you in the world. Good. Right. Now what is that? There's only, I think that's this, that's the sole Aramaic word in the entire Midrash. What does that mean exactly? Or what does that do? What does the word have do? Well, I mean, it brings us back to the festival. It does bring us back, but it, how does it bring us back? Chava? Like, ergo? Like, A little more. I, I, Translation-wise, you're correct, but what is it doing, like, so to speak? Parallel. It's trying to say that this is, you know, this is a kiyum. This is fulfilled through. The words ki hu is realized through. Right? We're not just talking translation, but the function of that word have. Okay, good. So we have the translation. We didn't translate much because we had left bira alone. We left doleket um, alone. To a certain extent, we left manhig alone. What do you think? Let's before we hear what you think. Let's hear from these mafarshim. Uh, why don't we start with 
why don't we start with um, the Yidei Moshe? Yeah. The Yidei Moshe was, I looked a little bit of this up in the meantime, was Yaakov Moshe Helen, first published in the late 17th century in 1691. I didn't know anything else, and neither the Mahar Zu, who's Rav Zev Yaakov Einhorn, Rav Zev Wolf Einhorn, or the Yidei Moshe gets an entry in the Encyclopedia Judaica. And Rashi, we don't really know who this Rashi is, so obviously... Um, it's not you know, Shlomo Yitzchaki. It's attributed to him, but incorrectly, so I can't tell you anything about that, except for that's probably the earliest perush on the page of um, the Medrash. How do we know that people uh, People have studied basically showing that this, the things that he says completely contradict Rashi elsewhere, and his style is totally different than normally Rashi. That's pretty much how we know. You can call him pseudo Rashi if you want to be cool. Yeah, I mean the way these things work, there are a lot of even you know there are there are a lot of there are a lot of cases where things are attributed to Rashi because Rashi is the parshan par excellence. So whenever you hear someone is called Rashi and it's not doesn't conform with what we know to be Rashi's style and views, then you sort of raises eyebrows. Um, also, we don't have anyone refer to this. Is actually is sort of the the money shot. We don't have anyone refer to Rashi's any Rishon later Rishon refer to Rashi's parish on Breshid Rabbah. Um, so, yes. Okay. So let's uh, anyone who has good eyes and would like to read um, read the um, read uh, the Yidei Moshe. Yes. Okay, good. So we have our first definition. According to the Yudei Moshe, what does Dolaket mean? Good. And by the way, that's what it means. <laughs> the best way to find out what a word means that you're not sure um, of its meaning is to is to look at all of the occurrences of the word um, in um, Sifut Chazal. The way you do that is either use a, a very clumsy concordancia. We even have concordancias for Sifut Chazal. Um, or, nowadays, you just use the Barilan CD. Don't be ashamed to use the Barilan CD because it will yield the best accuracy. What does Dolekit mean? Well, let's see. And you can bring up many um, different examples. I even think I put one on the sheet. Um, in it, even though I, the first Mishnah uh, from Bavakama, I, I actually placed it there for Bira, but I believe, um, yes, it's talking in the first in the first sentence. The reason why you have to paper everything that was in the Bira, it's not because you lit it up and made it very beautiful, because you burned it down. So you can go through all of the examples. Dolek always means burning. Neirot Dolkot means the candles are burning across the board. So Rav Yaakov Moshe Helen says that we're talking about Doleket meaning burning. Well, if that's the case, that's going to create certain problems. Why don't you continue? Okay. 
Okay, so so we have the burning, and now what else is he saying? It's burning, and no one is putting it out. So that's what the passerby is seeing, and by, you know, in terms of the nimshal, that's what Avraham is seeing, as he'll describe in a minute. This is burning, no one's putting it out, and that leads to the assumption, Tomar, that birazu below manhik. Right, according, and I should have emphasized this as well, that is treated as a real question according to the Yidei Moshe, correct? In other words, it's not a rhetorical, oh, could it possibly be that there's no leader? No, of course there's a leader. That's not how the Yidei Moshe is reading it. He's reading it as, it really looks like there's no owner of this. It looks like it's an abandoned house. It's burning and no one's putting it out. Obviously nobody cares. No one owns it. Okay, um, and now go to the third line. Kach Kishore, I'm sorry about the size here. Okay, good. So in other words, what's he saying? How does the nimshal work? In what way is the is the world burning? All the terrible things that happen, you know, up until Parsha Lech Lecha Bereshi. You have Dor HaMabel, you have Dor Enosh, you have Dor Flaga. Looks like the world is burning, so to speak. There's just terrible things occurring, which would lead Avram to assume it looks like there's no God. God then addresses him, and that address seems to occur Parshat Lech Lecha. And his, he's telling him, yes, the world is burning. I want it to burn, and um, and therefore you should go and get out of this area and leave the Rishayim. What do you think about that explanation? Are, are you happy with it, or should we move on to the next one and then we'll assess Chava? What, uh, but I'm saying, do you have any specific problems with that interpretation? Much more specifically connecting the Lechva part to the negative things that are described here. Okay, that that might be fair though, because isn't the Medrash saying that Lech Lecha, right, Hevei Lech Lecha, the end of the Pasuk, which is the result of this Mashal, and then Mimshal, is realized during Lech Lecha. We really understand the structure of the Medrash, how the Mashal fit with the Okay, so then we'll get to that in a second. Let's just quickly, we won't read the rest inside. Anyone want to summarize? Um, let's just go to Rashi, Marzu, sort of a, a middling interpretation. What is this, what does Rashi say here? How does he interpret Doleket, and how does he interpret Bira? Accordingly, All right? The day Moshe didn't really give any details. Yes. Yes, it's the very opposite. It's a beautiful world. It's a beautiful world. It's a bira, which is beautiful. I'm trying to remember if he says that explicitly, or I'm just attributing that to him. I think he he, he I think one can deduce that he understands bira as not simply. A structure, but a beautiful structure, and a lit up structure. It's sparkling. And that leads to what? What does the Overmi Makom Makom realize when he sees a beautiful structure? 
Right. This is you know the, what's classically known as the argument from design. In other words, in terms of theology, he sees a beautiful world that's orderly, that's structured, that's sparkling. And then we have to interpret the medrash of Tomar that it's rhetorical. It can't be that this world is without a manhig. It's beautiful. It's orderly. It's lit up. It's sparkling. And therefore, that leads to what? So that leads to God telling him, Lech Lecha. Right? That leads to God telling him, okay, you've recognized me. Now, here's a mission. So here, I think, you know, we can see clearly, according to this interpretation, though I think it's very problematic interpretation, um, not just because of the language problems, that that this medrash is addressing, perhaps, a problem, a narrative problem, in um, the beginning of Lech Lecha and in Avram's character, yes. Right, and also in the understanding of Yehudi and Moshe, because if Hashem doesn't like the yeah. And Abraham didn't go through this thing with Rashi and Ramah was sort of attributing to him where he's sort of recognizing God somehow, and he's asking you as a, as a real question and saying, okay, there is no God, then why does Hashem address Abraham? He's just like everybody else. Right. There needs to be some reason why Abraham is chosen. Um, you mentioned the Rambam. Do you want to just um, summarize? It's a long Rambam. This is a very well-known Rambam. And the Rambam clearly is based on this medrash. I mean, I don't think there's any doubt. Um, what does the Rambam say? The Rambam says that Abraham was little and he was living amongst idolaters and stupid people, but he must have been really smart because he managed to figure out from the fact that the world is in orderly in the next place that there must be a God. And once he figured it out, God said, hey, good job, now I like you. Um, Perfect. Okay. This actually is a ver- is, is, was a very widespread understanding amongst the Jews of Bayit Sheni of Avram and how Avram was chosen. Right? For example, Philo, who was a Jewish philosopher in Alexandria in the first century, has a gorgeous sort of narrative that, that depicts Avram's, um, Avram's path towards the Kaddish Baruch Hu that leads up to the Lech Lecha. Lech Lecha, the narr- again, just to reiterate, the narrative problem is that Lech Lecha seems to be like a bolt out of the blue. There's no... We don't know. We know two lines about Avram in the previous parsha. That's it. Right? We know some of his genealogy, and suddenly Lech Lecha. He's the man who is going to be chosen to go on this incredible journey, start a nation, etc. Yes, Chava. There isn't an opening. No, we know they started moving. I mean, it was his father's idea, but they started moving towards. Okay, so he likes to travel. Overmi makom makom. What's so special about that? There are lots of people traveling and migrating to different parts of the world. The, the, I mean, I think, to me, it's a problem, especially when you're doing Shneimikr at Echetargum that first time, right? When you finally hear about this thing called Shneimikr Echetargum, and you're really following along at a lightning lightning pace, and you're going through, and you, you see, wow, we have Adam, and we have Noach, and now we're about to start the Jewish nation, and we have Avram, and you don't know why Avram was picked. You don't even know whether he was a, you know, Tamim Hayab Tav. I think that Medrash is also sort of playing off of that problem. It's doing much more than that, but I think that's that's there. So, accordingly, the Rambam um, understands that this medrash is supplying um, a narrative that fills the gap, right? That's That, that again, is that second kind of thing that medrash does. It deals with problematic words, it also deals with problematic um, gaps. And the way it does that is it explains the backstory, the pretext. Why is Moshe picked? Because, even though the Torah doesn't tell you, 
he went on this journey, this intellectual, spiritual journey, discovered, especially for the Rambam, it's intellectual journey, let's be honest. He uses his great brain to figure out, unlike the stupid people, I mean, that's how he says it. He uses his great brain to figure out God, you know, the existence of God and, and et cetera, et cetera. Okay. <clears throat> let's now go back and think a little more deeply about the Medish. And the Marzu is, is uh, we don't really have time for the Marzu. The Marzu sort of combines different elements and he, unless anyone is totally sold on the Marzu's parish, I don't really, we don't really have the time to do it right now. Um, let's hear more about what you think about how this mashal nimshal works. Any other hands? How does, and, and, and as you explain how the mashal um, works, Try to translate um, bira and doleket, manhig and balabira even, but at least bira and doleket, and explain how that works within your interpretation. Anyone, anyone have a derech, a mahalach in this um, in this medrash that wants to share it with us? I sort of get hints as to who's on which side of the fence a little. Your name Sharona? Sharon. I'm sorry. So Sharon, you think that. You don't buy, I assume, the Rambam's understanding? Um, or you do? I don't know. I mean, they both bring the Rambam's. I'm not on one side of the fence. Oh, okay. Yes. I think the Midrash needs a Midrash, and the Rambam Correct. is the one who brings the Correct. Midrash to explain the gaps. Correct. The, uh... Okay, but let's try to see if we can understand what's going on. So we, we spoke about the word bira. It's ambiguous. You can look it up in the dictionaries. If you talk about a bira in modern Hebrew, yeah. you can... You're probably referring to one or two things, right? A capital, I heard someone say a capital. Um, Shushana Bira, but I'm saying that translates also into modern Hebrew, or a palace, a beautiful a beautiful structure, not simply a regular structure. Again, what do we do when we want to find out what something means? You look at different examples of how it's used in Chazal. Um, so if we do that here, I read you... Um, a mission from Masechet Babakama. It's actually a very common structure um, in Mishnah. So the example I gave you is all about damages, torts, and Abira in the first line seems to be a structure that holds different things. Um, and is there anything else I wanted to show from that? Um, That's the same Yes, correct. That first Mishnah. Um, even a little better, giving us a sense as to what it was. If you look at the next source, right, Babli Masechet Bavabatra, it's talking about a very typical situation that you might encounter uh, in the next few years. What does Bira mean and what does Bai mean here? And Bai doesn't simply mean house, but how would we translate it in? Good. You're someone who rents out a buy it to his friend in a large bira. So you're talking about an apartment in a large building. Um, and a somewhat similar use, though it's talking about storing things, is in Bafli Masech Psachim. This one is very telling because it's talking about Rome, right? It gives this sort of, this amazing, this picture of Rome's incredible size. And as all the shvakim here probably means districts, not marketplaces. And as all these districts, and in each 365 district, there are 365 biraniot, which is the plural form. And in each bira, there is a floor. And in each floor, you have enough to feed the entire 
each level you have enough to feed the entire world. Again, you're talking about a bira as a larger structure that holds other levels, other smaller structures in it. And finally, um, there's a beautiful medrash in Tehillim. There's so many more examples, these are just some, which will give us a sense as to what a bira is. Um, right, Mahu Ba'armanotan, that verse in Tehillim, Bibiraniyotshala. Right, now that might cause you to think, ah, oh, we're talking about an Armon, a palace. But when you read the rest of the uh, Medrash, it says, just like um, God is concerned with every structure, every single structure. I think the, the Baal Hamidrash is trying to say, God, I don't think it's trying to say, God cares about all the palaces and all about the rich people's houses. He's trying to say he cares about each structure um, you know, of his people. Uh, but ultimately, I think, you know, there are many more examples. You can look in terms of Chazal. When the word is used in Chazal, the word does mean a large structure. It, earlier on in Tanakh, it often means a fortress um, or a collection of buildings. So when, you know, we have des- descriptions later in Tanakh about what's going on in Harabayit, we have the Bira, right? The Bira isn't a palace on Harbayit. It's because if you've ever learned the Sechetamid, you'll know that there are all these different structures. It's a whole, almost a fortress um, but, and it's also used to describe fortresses more directly. So Bira, um, let's assume that let's assume is a large structure. Okay, very good. And Doleket, let's also assume, though I didn't try to convince you as much, means burning. So what does that mean? How does this? What what what's going on in the Mashal now? And what does that say about Avram and the way in which the Medrash wants to fill the narrative gap? Right. So. The mashal is someone is passing from place to place. He's just a passerby, and he sees a bira. It's not beautiful. It's a large building. Let's call it an apartment building, right? Um, I gave you an example at the bottom. Um, this is a modern writer, not like a, not a, you know, early witness. But the way things worked is you would have these larger structures um, who were run by people other than the owners, okay? Bira is describing a large building that this person sees, and it's burning. Right? It's not lit up, it's burning. So this is really very different than the way the Rambam is understanding it, than the way that the Mafarish Rashi is understanding it. So now what happens? Help me out here. Right? So the Tomar is a real question. Right? Tomar, it seems like there's no Baal Habira here. Right? There's no Baal Habira. There's no owner. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. There's no manhig. I apologize. There's no manhig. Right? Anyone ever live in an apartment building in Israel? Mm-hmm. Yeah, not just in seminary, but like in a actual apartment. So who's the guy who comes to collect uh, what's called the vad bayit? I'm giving it away. He's the vad bayit. He's the you know he's the guy in charge of running things, making sure if the water stops, someone will fix it. If the electricity goes down, he'll he'll address the problem. He does not own the building. The owner generally is living in a nicer place and is not involved. The Vad Bayit, the Vad Bayit is Jeff, the Vad Bayit is the Manhi, essentially. And this actually was the way these apartment buildings were structured in Rome. We also know from the from that one Mishnah, but in many other cases, that these bureaux burns a lot. Right? It, it is sort of interesting. In a few places in Mishnah, I didn't bring you, um, I only brought you one, B-Road burn. Right? They're probably built out of wood, something flammable, 
they burn, and it becomes the job not of the Bali Bura, who doesn't live there, but of the Manhi to put it out. So if we sort of take that reality and place it into the Mashal, so Avram, or I'm sorry, before we get to Avram, you have a person walking from place to place. You have a Bira, which is a large building. He sees it's burning. He says, it's burning. Obviously, there's no one in charge. There's no Manhik. And then what happens? The Baal Habira, incredibly, is there. The Baal Habira looks down. I should have told you that also. It seats. It seats, if you look that word up, you'll find that it generally is used to, to not simply be peering through the lattice as it is in Shir Shirim, but in Chazal it's peering down. right? So we, it seems like we have an image of something like this. And you have a birah with many different apartment buildings. It's burning. You have someone passing by. And peering down from, let's say, a window is the Baal Habira. He's in a burning building, are you saying? He is in a burning building, or on top of the building, on the roof. He's in a precarious situation. Okay, let me just finish, and then you can attack me, because this is pretty <laughs> radical. And by the way, I should say, I'm influenced by um, a teacher who I'm sure you don't know about, named Pinchas Mandel in Yerushalayim, who gave me this very interesting insight um, one day in Yerushalayim. Um, so he, so he, is, he is looking down, and and he says, Anihu Baal Habira. Period. Then it goes into Nimshal form, correct? The Nimshal is what? Kach, Lefishayavinu Avram Omar, Tomar Shalom Azabalobanik. It seems that the world is without a master. And here you can really apply the Yidei Moshe. The world is just not going right. You have all kinds of, you have the Mabul, you have the Flaga, etc., etc. And then he sits Allah Kadesh Baruch Hu, as it were, God peers down. And says, Now, how does that solve the problem? And that's, this is the other thing in the Farshim of Yom Okay, I'm the master of the world. So, no. so therefore, the Yidei Moshe comes up with interpretation that, and I want it to burn. But that's not really what the Medrash is doing. The Medrash is moving towards Lech Lecha. In other words, therefore, lech, therefore the next Pasuk, which leads into Lech Lecha. Yes. Yeah. He's the one that, like, he's responsible, but he's not the owner. Whereas you can say, like, okay, when... Who, who is? The Manhig or the Baal Habira? The Manhig is the one responsible versus the Baal, which is the one that owns it. Correct. So he's, he's not actively responsible, but he cares about his building, doesn't no, he? No, of course. But, like, yeah. when you go back to the Nimshal and you look at the world, it's like, because who's ultimately responsible for, like, the world and what is going on in it? Yes, it is Hashem, but really it's the people in it are more responsible for the happenings. Like, but then therefore what, though? Because there's no Manhig. And the Bali Bura is like not doing anything about the bur- about the burning building. But then, oh. no, but it works because <laughs> 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 that's the whole point. Of, yeah. So what's the point? So, yeah. so therefore what? In other words, what does the Bali Bura want? Perfect. Okay, I think that's what's going on here. I'll, I know I, there's a few hands up. I think that's exactly. <laughs> what... He's looking for Vad Bai. No, but. <laughs> Well, why are we using modern day Israeli? Because, I, because as we pointed out, I'm not, I'm not in modern Israel. You don't call the owner the Baal Habira, and you don't call the Baal Habira. Because the Medrash makes a point. I think it's pretty clear of shifting nouns. Avram is the. I'm sorry. The person is looking for a manhig, and yet the Baal Habira responds. Avram is looking for a manhig, 
and the Baal HaOlam responds. So there's a, I think there's a clear, the Medrash is set, sending a signal here. There's a clear shift between a Manhig, which doesn't seem to be around, and a Baal Habira, which does seem to be around. Yes? Why is it important that the Manhig is in the, in the instruction itself? Is that get to the Mashal? I think so. We're going to get to one minute. Let, let me just take one more hand. Yeah? I was going to say that the, the shift between Manhig and Baal Habira is that Abraham wasn't quite there yet. Abraham was looking for the Manhig, and God says, I own the building, I'm not the caretaker. Correct. That and Abraham therefore, didn't exactly know that he wasn't there, and when, when it says he seats, God sort of peeked at him and didn't reveal himself, but sort That's of... That's interesting, but in, in the Medrash, though, to be fair, the Mashal does say that he addresses the person passing by, and that, I think, is how we're supposed to understand Lech Lecha. Right? So again, just to get back to what came from this, this corner of the table... We have someone who is passing by. He has no relationship with the building. He has nothing to do with the building. Um, but Nebuch, the building is burning. It looks like no one is around and no one cares. When the Bali Bara says, Ani Bal Habira, when he responds, I am, you know, I am that man. There's actually a famous version of this. It's like a Kutzker story, which could take us in a whole other different direction. He says... An Bal Habira, then, therefore, in a sense, help me. In a sense, Lech Lecha, and this is radical. It's another example of a radical medrash. Um, in a sense, God's saying, Lech Lecha. In other words, th- because of this, I need you to do something. That, I think, is a radical reading which sort of accounts for just about everything. And before we do that in a little more detail, since we don't really have any more time, I just want to contrast the two different understandings of this medrash and show how both of them understand the medrash to be dealing with a, a, a narrative gap, but ultimately they work in opposite directions. So the Rambam, uh, the, you know, sort of the argument from design was a cla- was and is sort of a classical understanding of the medrash, an understanding of where Avram came from. Avram was this precocious, you know, some medrashim describe this three-year-old who, who's the first iconoclast. He's smashing idols. And he thinks, and he he ponders, and he discovers God that way. And acor- uh, uh, accordingly, God says, "Lach lecha, you're going to be the leader of my nation, my you know, my special nation, and sort of bring this bracha into the world." That's the classical uh, interpretation. I think this medrash is saying something very radical, um, and it sees it sees a problem again. Why Avram? How does Avram come into this? But instead of focusing on why Avram, why Avram is called in particular, it focuses on why Lech Lecha. Why, Lech Lecha at, why does Lech Lecha occur at this moment? You know, what, what, what precipitates Lech Lecha? And what precipitates it is the burning bira. Right? The Baal Hebira looks down and needs, needs someone to help. I think, in a way, and this is sort of the title that I put in one of the sides here, you know, Chipu So Shall Me, Who's searching for whom? The classic way of understanding this is that Moshe, that Moshe, that Avram is, un, is searching for God. I think, in a certain sense, you know, God is searching for Avram. God is searching for someone to essentially help out, help put the fire out, and you know, bring the bracha into the world. That sort of explains, and it looks like we're not going to have enough time to actually explain how the end of how the end of the marriage works. If you look carefully, what happens here is that the peticha is pasugid aleph. Um, and then at the end, it goes to Pasuk Yud Bed. <clears throat> so Pasuk Yud Al does describe Lech Lecha, 
But Vayitav HaMelech Yafyech, I think, is key here. Right? It's the Melech, God, who's desiring your beauty. And the means of you know, God desiring someone to help them out is liapotech ba'olam, you know, to beautify you in the world, to bring brach into the world through through Avram, to make him into a leader. That's sort of my take. And now hopefully we can go over time since no one's picking in. And let me get some reactions and disagreements. Yes. Um, I think it's interesting how Avraham is not looking for the Bahadurai. Correct. He's looking for Hashem. Right. He's, just he's an Ovelamakom. He's, he's searching, so to speak, according to this explanation. I think that's sort of a hole in a way of um, the Rambam's interpretation. Yeah, for sure. That in other words, he's, this is not a picture of someone who's looking for a bira that's lit up and he finds one. He's looking from, he's, he's wandering from place to place. But even when he sees the, the bira, like he's just looking for someone responsible. Like, you Correct. know, hitting the ninja, he's not looking for Hashem, he's just looking for someone to help better the world. Right, as a you know, as opposed to the the second way of understanding, we need to know that he's an over lamakolikum. He has nothing to do with this building and the building, you know, and so you know the Balibura asks him, I know you're you know, overlakum, I'm the Balhabira, you're curious, uh, it's me and you know, lach lacha, do something for me. Yes. The story that the Rambam records, is that the earliest source that we have for this story? I mean, well, the Rambam, I mean, the Medrash is the earliest no, source of this version. Well, that's what I'm saying. I think the Rambam's an interpretation of the story. Well, the Rambam also, you know, he's, we didn't get to read inside. He sort of pieces together different Midrashim yeah, about Avram. Yes. Correct. But this Medrash in particular, I think, is emphasizing another side. Oh, 100%. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, right, the Medrash, so but when we're looking at this Medrash in particular, and it, again, you know, each, uh, I, to a certain extent, you know, later on we're going to talk about how you can look at what's called a Parsha. This is Parsha Lamed which is a long section that deals with the first, you know, few psukim of the, of the Sidra, right? Let's call it the Sidra of Lech Lecha. Um, and you can look at the big picture. But I do think each Medrash can sort of stand on its own and has a message there. And you can tell by the way it's framed. It starts with this pticha and it ends with this pticha and it's sort of an enclosed uh, unit. Yes? So what you're saying is that when the Pesach uh, Pesach says like the king says your beauty, it's not referring specifically to Avram, but, with, but to someone with Avram's ability to recognize Hashem? No, I think it's referring specifically to Avram because that's how the Medrash is understanding this psukim. Oh, okay. I understand what you're saying. In other words, God was sort of looking for someone. It happened to be Avram. Correct. I mean, that that's sort of what's going on here. Yes, sure, Sharon. So I think the, the little building Right, because the, the oh, that's nice. The world is sort of organic, Correct. There's, there's nothing. There's no Baal, There's nobody. Mm-hmm. He was just saying, okay, there's this thing, so there must be a Baal, like the same logic as the other story. Interesting. So now, where's the Why isn't somebody 
Right. Yeah. Correct. Good. Okay. We're really over time. Just, but no one's come in, so that's. <laughs> 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 so, well, I understand what you're saying, the way you're taking it, but there's also that assumption that that to Abraham, the um, the Mabel and the Bavo were immediate concerns. Mm-hmm. Well, that actually, to get sort of to get the picture of what Chazal, you know, how Chazal thought everything worked out, you have to look at a book called Seder Olam, and Seder Olam figures out, as I recall, that Afram was a, was alive during the Haflaga. He wasn't alive during the Mabel, of course, but correct, correct. Right. Well, that's that. What that was? De Moshe said that. In other words, these are you know escape the place of the Rishayim. Now I see them looking at the window. These are the places of the Rishayim. So get away. Correct. It, it, you're right. It does assume. But I think to be fair, and I haven't given my big medrash talk and dealt with all the classic issues of. Um, <laughs> of, you know, is, is Medrash trying to teach us history? Is it trying to tell us that actually this is what happened? Moshe was three years old. I, we will get to the, that. I don't think that's as important as first listening to what Medrash is actually saying. But um, Medrash is trying, just in, in this case, as a, as, as a learner, as a reader, as you're learning through the Parshios, and you, and you are reading about Dormabal, Dorflaga, it's sort of that depressing feeling you get about this time of year when you've gone through Bamidbar, and it's like, I mean, just complaining after complaining after complaining, I think the major is sort of responding to that experience of the reader and then using Avram to teach, to teach something about it. But you're right, if you, you, you would have to figure out, you know, if Avram actually was went through all of these events. Okay, thank you. Sorry I went over again. Yes. I'm going to be out of town on Monday. Oh. Is there any way I can... Well, there's, there's going to be... I don't know if your computer's savvy.